It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday night, April 2nd, 2018. Kicking the show off, Major Tom by Peter Schilling, an 80s classic. Big show to get to. We've got Major League Baseball with the opening day and first weekend in the books. Although the weather certainly not cooperating here in New York City is both the Yankees' home opener uh, today snowed out, although you wouldn't know it from looking outside right now. It's gorgeous, but uh, was not the case earlier today. And uh, the Mets game also delayed uh, because of the uh, the bad weather. Um, but we'll get to the baseball, uh, some interesting uh, developments in the world of analytics. Uh, certainly came back to bite uh, some folks uh, in the rear. Um and uh, we'll also talk some NBA and uh, also a very uh, impressive weekend in the world of women's sports. Two standout performances in particular that we will uh, dissect. But we begin with Major League Baseball and we'll begin with, uh, I guess we can begin with the Mets. Um, and uh, good opening weekend or opening series, I should say. Started on Thursday. We're all Friday. Played Saturday and yesterday. Uh, went two and one. Took the first two out of three against the Cardinals. Uh, you know, Cardinals are a team as we talked about many times on this show. Always in the mix. You know, last year was a really down year for them, and I think they won 83 games. Um, and uh, you know that that lineup looks to be formidable. The Cardinals lineup can be. Um, and look, you love what you saw from Syndergaard on opening day. Okay, gave up a couple of home runs. The second one, the Mets already had an 8-3 lead. Not the end of the world. Uh, you know, Molina jumped him for a home run, kind of kind of ambushed him on a pitch there. But, you know, look, didn't walk anybody. Struck out 10, six innings. Um, you know, didn't, uh, the stuff was tremendous. Uh, obviously, the command and the control was tremendous. So uh, while four runs in six innings doesn't look good, you have to look beyond the numbers and actually watch the game and see how well he, he pitched. Um, and so he looked great. Uh, the bullpen looked good. But Robert Gesselman in particular, you know, who was a starter the last couple of years, was a revelation two years ago when he came up late and helped the Mets in their late season charge to that second wild card spot last year. Like most of the team and the pitchers did not have a very good year last year, although he finished the year fairly strong, but had a nice spring, and looks like he potentially could be a, a valuable arm out of the bullpen, a guy that can give you multiple innings. Um, and if he's throwing that good hard sinker in, in the mid to low 90s, uh, he's, he's tough. And he did that. Swarzak looked good, although, of course, he's hurt now. He's got an oblique injury. I would suspect he'll at least go on the 10-day DL, if not longer. But he at least looked good um, in his, uh, his initial outing. And then uh, Familia, you know, finished things up um, and didn't look great, but he looked good enough. And you liked the offensive contributions from everybody. Cespedes, 
you know, look, batting second, came up with the bases loaded, uh, got a big hit with two strikes, got a hit again with guys on base. Brandon Nimmo led off, did exactly what you, you'd hoped and thought he would do, on base three times, hit by a pitch on a 3-1 pitch. It looked like he was about to draw a walk there anyway. Got a, uh, Drew another walk, got a single, scored a couple of runs, did everything he wanted. Then for reasons known only to him, Mickey Calloway decided to not play him in the second game of that series on Friday, even though the Cardinals were throwing a righty. Now, Lagar's got a couple of hits. That's fine. Um, I just think Nimmo leading off adds such another dimension to the Mets lineup. Now, it worked out in game two. He, he hit, as Drupal Cabrera lead off, he got three hits. So he looked like a genius, and that's fine. Again, over the long haul, in the course of 162 games, I'm, I know I'm going to probably annoy the hell out of some of the people out there, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but Brandon Nimmo needs to play. They better figure out a way to get him 400 to 500 at-bats this year. That's uh, it. And, he, and, they, and it needs to be in a leadoff spot. Um, good, solid second game. Got home runs from Cespedes and Travis Darno. Uh, after Ploiecki had a very good first game. See, I didn't mind Cowboy playing Darno in the second game because that's that's what he said he's going to do. And so Ploiecki had a great first game. That's great. But, you know, Darno had a good spring. And again, Darno needs to be a good player for the Mets to be a good team. They can't just forget about him and give up on him. And so, you know, I have no problem with Callaway either going with the hot hand or doing almost sort of a, a you know a four three situation. One guy plays four games a week. One guy plays three, or vice versa. That's fine. Keep guys fresh. You know the days of catchers playing 140 games are over. You look around Major League Baseball. Nobody nobody does that. Maybe Buster Posey and the Giants. You know they, they'll find 20 games a year where they'll play him at first base. And when they play in an American League park, they may DH him from time to time. So. You know, there are very few catchers that play a lot of uh, 140 games, if any. You know, Gary, Gary Sanchez will for the Yankees, but again, they'll probably find opportunities to DH him at times also. Keep him fresh. And he's also, listen, Gary Sanchez is on another level, hitting-wise. He's the best-hitting catcher in the sport right now. So, nice first couple of games. Yesterday, not great. Steven Matz was not great. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. Gave up a couple of home runs. Missed his spots. The velocity was there. The stuff looked okay. Command was off. Look, you know, a big article today, John Harper, who I like in the Daily News, but, you know, I mean, come on. A, a whole article about, you know, what can the Mets expect out of Max? He's the wild card. It's one start, guys. The guy hasn't pitched much in two years. I understand he finished the spring strong, but spring and regular season are two different things. You know, that's the other thing. Remember when spring training really was not – considered much of a big deal, and people really didn't put a whole lot of stock into either really good performances or really bad performances in the spring, particularly for guys who have a track record. You know, to me, the whole thing with the Mets pitching staff in the spring was not the results. It's the fact that they made it through healthy. And it's going to take Matt some time probably to find his groove. But as long as he's healthy, I think it's fairly – I don't think it's un, unreasonable to expect that he'll be an effective pitcher. Now, is he going to be dominant? No. But could he be a solid number three? Yeah. And I think it's perfectly – you have every right to expect him to be that. But it's going to probably take him five starts to find his groove. So everybody just calm down and relax. He'll be okay, again, if he's healthy. Now, that's the biggest question mark because he has not been healthy. Even his really good year, when he came up at the end of 2015, 
you know, he experienced some, some injury issues there. They were minor, but nevertheless. So that's the biggest thing. Um, I was excited to watch Harvey tonight. That's getting pushed back a day. That's fine. They're going to push back Seth Lugo, which I think makes sense since he's the fifth starter now that you can lengthen the bullpen, particularly with the Swarzak situation. Um, I believe he went for an MRI today. I have not heard uh, anything yet as to uh, how much time he's going to miss. So we'll see. But I think the Mets are making a smart move there by uh, basically bumping Seth Lugo because now they have uh, the off day today. And then they've also got an off day again this Friday. Um, So, listen, nice, solid start to the year for the Metsies. You'll take it. As we talk about all the time, you, you love to win series, right? You win series, you're going to be in good shape. So obviously very early, but whatever. Um, but speaking of which, the weather, I don't understand why Major League Baseball does this every single year. Why in the hell are the Mets opening up the season in New York City? Why are they not playing in Florida or in Texas or in California or in, against a team that has a dome? I mean, look, you've got... In the National League East, you've got Atlanta and Miami. Miami is Miami, plus it's a dome. So if there is rain, you're not going to get a rain out. Atlanta this time of year, typically the weather's warm. It's going to be warmer than New York. Now, it may not be, you know, 70 and sunny, but it's certainly going to be the, – the, the, the odds are of it being warmer in Atlanta are much higher than being nice in New York City. So those are two cities that you can play in in the National League East that make sense. Okay. Now, I understand there's other teams in the National League. you got Washington, you got Philly, and the Mets. I get it. Okay? So let's go over to the, America, uh, the National League Central, shall we? Now, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, you know, uh, crapshoot like everywhere else. I get it. Uh, same thing with St. Louis and Chicago. Chicago, the weather could be terrible this time of year. I get it. But Milwaukee's got a dome. So that's a third city where you can open up the season and not have to worry about weather. Okay? So we're up to three. You go out to uh, the West, and you've got uh, the Dodgers, got the Padres, got the Giants. So now we're up to six places where you can play, where you're pretty much – oh, in Arizona, sorry. Got Padres, Giants, Dodgers, and Arizona. Four. So that's seven places now in the National League where you're essentially assured of at least, if not great weather, passable weather to start the year. And if you go over to the American League, same thing. Toronto's a dome, right? Retractable, so you can play no matter what. Right? Boston, of course, we know spotty. New York, spotty. Baltimore, spotty. Get it. Detroit, spotty. They already had a rain out, maybe even two. Understand Cleveland, same thing. Minnesota, same thing. I understand that. Okay. But you've got Texas. You've got Houston. You've got Oakland. You've got Anaheim. Uh, Who am I missing? Am I missing anybody else? What am I missing here? Hold on. Time out. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Major League Baseball. Okay. American League. Houston, Los Angeles, Oakland, Seattle. Now, Seattle eh, could be spotty this time of year. I get it. But the likelihood of the weather being decent in Seattle as opposed to New York this, in late March, I, I'll take my chances with Seattle. 
although it does rain all the damn time there. That is true. But Houston, Los Angeles, Oakland, Texas, four. The Central is all a crapshoot. You got Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota. Okay, I get that. And then you've got Tampa Bay. Sorry, also a dome, and it's Tampa Bay, but it's a dome, and Toronto. So one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the, in the American League where you're reasonably assured of good weather, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So 13 out of the 30 teams. And there's interleague play already starts the year. So you, you mean to tell me, I'm not saying every game is going to be in good weather, but you can't come up with a better plan to start the year than the Mets playing the Cardinals in, in New York and then the Nationals and the Phillies or the Phillies and then the Nationals. I mean, if the Mets are going to play an NL Central team to start the year, how about they play on the road in Milwaukee? Where if they need to, to cover the field, you know, to, to throw the dome up, they can. Which in March they're going to have to, but that's okay. Unless you get, you know, lucky and you get unseasonably warm weather. It, it just makes no sense to me. It shouldn't be this hard, guys. It really shouldn't. And, of course, my other bugaboo is, is now the, the over-reliance on analytics. And, boy, did it ever rear its ugly head in the first ever game for Gabe Kapler, the new manager of the Phillies. So there's now, again, one of the big things in analytics is the, this idea that pitchers can't, you know, that the batting average against the third time through the order goes up dramatically. And so now, therefore, we're now going to manage games the first week of the season and opening day like we manage in the playoffs. So first of all, the Dodgers did this idiocy last year where they pulled Rich Hill after four shutout innings because they were afraid of him going through the third batting order third time through. And the Phillies just did it to horrific results. So, so let me see if I can set the stage for you. The Phillies are up 5-0 against the Braves opening day. The Phillies have their you know, de facto ace. He's not great, but Aaron Nola is a decent young pitcher, right? Kind of up and coming. He's their ace. Now, he, is he an ace? No, but he's their ace. But the fact is... He had pitched five and a third innings, 68 pitches, shut out. And it was an easy five and a third. It wasn't like he had guys on base every inning and he was you know, tiptoeing in and out of jams. And Gabe Kappa goes and gets it. And, and, and the other thing here to keep in mind, by the way, is the Phillies' bullpen isn't any good. It's not like they have the Yankees' bullpen or even the Mets' bullpen for that matter. So he pulls... <laughs> He pulls the guy after five and a third innings and 68 pitches with a 5 nothing lead. I mean, can you watch the actual game there, Gabe Kapler, rather than being a slave to analytics? Can you? I mean, it's again, it's that old line. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Like, trust what you're seeing. Understand the game. Understand the pulse and the tenor of the game. It's ridiculous. And, of course, the bullpen in and coughs it up. And, and as part of that, by the way, he employed a ridiculous overshift. This is the other new thing now. It's not that new. The, the Rays started this years ago with Joe Madden was the manager. And other teams have caught on to shifting dramatically for all, like pitch to pitch, by the way, and for almost every hitter. It's ridiculous. And so he did it against the great Ryan Flaherty, who's a punch and Judy hitter. And, of course, he beats his shift with a little dink job to the opposite field that ended up scoring like two runs and the Phillies ended up blowing that game. Then 
In his next game, he goes out and pulls a pitcher in the third inning, I believe, or maybe it was a, sorry, it was the fourth inning. He didn't have anybody warming up in the bullpen. He goes out, and by the way, terrible job by the home blade umpire because that's on the manager. If you do that, the guy who comes in eventually, he doesn't get to get warm-up tosses. Sorry, tough luck. But I believe it was Jerry Lane who was the home plate umpire let him get his, his warm-up pitches in, and the Braves manager, Brian Snicker, and rightfully so, went ballistic and ended up getting tossed from the game, which is also a joke. The umpire's not there to regulate this stuff. The rule is the rule. Because Jerry Lane said after the game, well, I was worried about injury. Sorry, that's not your, that's not your place. That's not your purview. That's Gabe Kapler's purview. That's his fault. If he's screwing it up, that's on him. I mean, Gabe Kapler, what, you, you, can you get a worse start to a major league career as a manager? And, you know, he's steadfast, though. He, he's not, look, that's how I'm going to manage. And apparently that's how the front office wants him to manage. I mean, I, listen, again, like everything else, moderation, people, moderation. Certainly analytics. And by the way, when we say analytics, I mean, we're, we're talking about statistics. It's the same, same thing. It's a fancy way, right? Yes, okay, I get it. So-and-so is 0 for 15 against this guy with 10 strikeouts. So maybe I'm going to – and the guy ahead of him is, you know, 6 for, for 12. So let's walk this guy to get to the other guy. I mean, that, you know, that, that's been going on for years, okay? I mean, we're basically – by the way, the Simpsons – can the Simpsons ever be more prescient – this has got to go back, geez, about 20 years when, when Monty Burns hires uh, a bunch of ringers from Major League Baseball to play on the, uh, you know, the, uh, the spring, you know, on the company softball team. And he pinch hits uh, Daryl Strawberry for Daryl Strawberry with Homer and, because they bring in a lefty pitcher. And I think Strawberry says something to the effect like, but, but Skip, I'm five for five with five home runs. Because yes. But the other pitcher's a lefty, and you're a lefty, so I'm going to pinch hit a righty. That's what smart managers do to win ball games. I mean, that's basically where we are now in Major League Baseball with this over-reliance on analytics. It's basically where we are. By the way, check out that episode if you're a baseball fan and or a fan of comedy of any kind. Uh, it's one of the best ones ever. Um, let see if I can find a clip of that at the break. But that's, I mean, so everything in moderation. You know, again, trust your eyes. Understand what's going on in that particular game. Aaron Boone felt victim to it yesterday. He had uh, Robertson in the game. The Yankees had a one-run lead. Second and third, one out. No, two outs. Uh, after some horrendous base running, by the way, by Russell Martin, where he should have scored on a double anyway and had to get held up at third to get a terrible read off the ball. After, by the way, earlier in the game getting thrown out at home, great throw by Aaron Judge, but uh, head first slot into home plate. I mean, is there anything dumber than that? I mean, at least if you slide feet first, you have a chance to, to maybe knock the ball out of the catcher's glove. I mean, give Judge full credit. It was a beautiful throw. But it was a bit of a bang-bang play at home plate. And again, if you slide feet first, you might have an opportunity to knock the ball out of the catcher's glove. If you slide in head first, you have zero chance. Because remember, you can't barrel into the catcher anymore because of, uh, you know, uh, the delicate Buster Posey rule. 
So uh, in any event, so Boone elects to have David Robertson walk Josh Donaldson, who I get it. Josh Donaldson was three for eight for him, career, two home runs. But Smoke, already, Smoke is not – and I'll, listen, I don't like David Cohn very much as an announcer. I want to like him. I just don't like him. I don't find his voice uh, resonates well. Um, but he nailed it yesterday. He first guessed and said, I don't like this move. You give the pitcher no margin for error now when you load the bases. Robertson's known, you know, he's got that big hard curveball, right? Might be a little bit reluctant to throw it now with a lot of bite on it because you don't want to bounce it and have it be a wild pitch and have a runner score from third, right? I mean, you put the, it's a whole different situation when the pitcher's pitching with the base loaded. I understand David Robertson's an accomplished pitcher and he's a veteran. I get that. But Smoke had already homered earlier in the game. And Josh Donaldson is, is, is so far very early, small sample size, but uh, has not looked like the, the Josh Donaldson, you know, who's an, uh, uh, an MVP candidate the last few years. And what happens? Smoke has a good at bat. Boom, grand slam. Yankees lose. Game they were leading 4-1. They end up losing 7-4. Tough loss. Now, again, whatever. It's third, fourth game of the year. Fourth game of the year for the Yankees. They went 2-2, two two, not the end of the world. Um, but again, understand what's happening in that particular game. Statistics and analytics are great. They're not the end all be all. Sometimes you got to trust your gut or trust your eyes and see what's going on. And here's the other thing about everybody's precious analytics. Uh, what happens when a guy, let's say for argument's sake, the runner on, uh, runner on first and second, base it to the outfield. And a runner on second is going to score easily. But the outfielder misses the cutoff man or, and or idiotically tries to throw home. And in doing so, misses the cutoff man. Or even if he doesn't, and the guy moves up a base. And then he scores on a wild pitch. This happened yesterday in a Tigers game uh, against the Pirates. That, that's not an error, right? So that, that outfielder isn't judged negatively by analytics because it's not an error, Right? And it goes as a, an, an earned run on the pitcher's rec, rec, uh, record, on, its, on the pitcher's ledger, right? There's no way to account for that. There's no quantifying a bad baseball play. So you can use analytics all you want till you're blue in the face. You have to actually watch the games to understand the full effectiveness or ineffectiveness of players. Again, there's certainly a place for them. But to now, let's just completely and utterly turn over all of our decision-making to analytics is a little ridiculous. And frankly, it's making the sport unwatchable for me in a lot of ways. I mean, the jargon itself, exit velocity and, uh, you know, um, spin rate and all that. I mean, come on. You know, everybody was all giddy because of the miles per hour on uh, Stanton's opposite field home run the other day. Yeah, he crushed the ball. I get it. I could see that with my own eyes. I, I, I don't care. You know, if you tell me he hit it 470 feet, that's enough. I get it. You know, the fact that it went 120 miles an hour, who cares? What does it have to do with anything? And by the way, speaking of the Tigers, boy, they get rooked on Friday. They had a walk-off win in the bottom of the 10th negated by an overturn on a replay where there was certainly not enough evidence to overturn that. 
So everybody comes running out of the dugout, mob the guy who scores. Everybody's all excited. Then they go in for a review, and they overturn it. Ron Gardenhire, the new manager for the Tigers, formerly of the Twins, who's you know an old-school guy, went ballistic and got thrown out of the game. Good for him. Um, again, I understand the genie's out of the bottle. There's no way they're ever going to go back, but I wish they would. Replaying baseball is a disaster. It's awful. Awful. Should basically be used only for home runs, whether or not something is a home run or not, and that's it. Because of the way some of these new parks are with the funky angles and you know the way the background between the wall and the background you can't tell sometimes. That I, that I get. Everything else should be off the table. It's ridiculous. Again, it completely ruins the experience from a fan's perspective. You can't be spontaneous anymore. It's just like the NFL with every scoring play has to be reviewed. Every touchdown, now you're sitting there on pins and needles. And forget about with the dumb catch rule, which they supposedly changed. We'll see what happens there. But I wish they would get rid of uh, replaying baseball. I know they won't, but I really wish they would. And listen, I'm all for progress. You know, I don't want to come off sounding like the grumpy old guy here, get off my lawn, although I sometimes am that guy. I will first be the first to admit it. But look, I'm all for progress. I understand things evolve. The world changes. Technology is, you know, advancing at, 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 at a, you know, uh, exponential rate. I get that. Again, moderation, people. Common sense. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back right after this. Strawberry coming up. They're going to win the city championship. No thanks to me. Wait, you, Strawberry, good effort today. Take a lap and hit the showers. I'm putting in a right-handed batter to hit for you. What? You're pitch hitting for me? Yes. You see, you're a left-hander and so is the pitcher. If I send up a right-handed batter, it's called playing the percentages. It's what smart managers do to win ball games. But I've got nine home runs today. You should be very proud of yourself. Sit down, Simpson. You're batting for Strawberry. And there it is, my friends. That is where we are with analytics. And that, I believe, episode aired, let's see, gosh, 20-something years ago? Strawberry was still playing. Uh, he wasn't with the Mets. I'm pretty sure he was with the Dodgers. But, uh, yeah, I want to say that was about 92, 93. So the Simpsons does it again, predicting things well Way ahead of when they actually happen. So, uh, yeah. All right. In any event, back to uh, the world of sports. So, uh, a couple of outstanding performances over the weekend by uh, a couple of women athletes. Um, The first uh, from the amateur ranks, uh, women's college basketball, Notre Dame's Arike Ogunbowale uh, with two buzzer beaters, one to beat and topple mighty UConn, who of course was undefeated yet again, uh, to get to the finals in the final four game, hit a three at the buzzer to send Notre Dame past UConn in a massive upset. And then uh, last night um, hit another buzzer beater to win the whole thing. Incredible. Just incredible. Now the one against UConn, the degree of difficulty, of course it's high because it's a three and it's a game winner, but it came sort of within the flow of the offense. Uh, She did like a little between the legs dribble, got freed herself up a little bit, got some space, and, and drilled it. You know, obviously it's not a layup. It's still high degree of difficulty or somewhat high degree 
Last night's was basically almost like, a, you know, a, a little bit of a prayer. Definitely a higher degree of difficulty last night's shot than the one against uh, UConn. Uh, both amazing, amazing performances. So uh, congratulations to her and the rest of the Notre Dame women's team. You know, listen, beating UConn is, is no uh, easy task, right? I mean, they're, they're basically in the finals every single year. Um, although it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's, and it's not, it's not, the, it's not the, the women's fault, right? It's not the players' fault. But their coach, Gino Ariema, I mean, you know, they, they won a game by like 50 points in this tournament. I mean, do you really have to do that? I understand they're that much better than a lot of these teams. But, I mean, can, can you not just play your bench for the last, you know, quarter of these games when you're up by 25, 30 points? Is, is that, I mean, are we really proving a point there, Gino? Everybody knows your team's great. Everybody knows you're a great coach. You know, how about, how about displaying a little class in sportsmanship along the way? Is that too much to ask for? So, uh, you know, look, and again, and I think it's unfair to the girls because, you know, look, or the women, Again, they're just doing what they're told by the coach. You tell me to play, I'm going to play. But I personally find it very hard to root for them. Not that I pay a ton of attention, let's let's be honest, to to women's college basketball. But I I would suspect that they are probably often viewed as the villains, right? Because they beat – because, A, they're they're super successful every year, right? And they're the favorite, prohibitive favorite almost every year to win the whole thing. And then, B, you know, they do it in blowout fashion a lot of the time. Um, I, I don't think that's really the, the message that you want to send. But, you know, look, they win all the time, and unfortunately that's pretty much all that matters in today's society. So uh, OREM is not going anywhere, certainly. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing. Nobody in the media ever calls him out on this either. I mean, you know I love Tony and, and, and Wilbon on PTI. They have OREM on all the time, and they just it's a big yuck fest every time he's on the show. And I get it. Look, he's a charming guy. He's engaging. He does a good job, of course. But I, I find that part, I mean, you, you, listen, two, both things can be true, right? He can be a good guy and a good coach, but will also by, have a blind spot here when, he, when, they, when they run the score up on these teams. And I, and I don't think it's the end of the world to ask him to maybe not do that. Doesn't mean he's a terrible person. But again, how about like sort of you know, setting an example and showing some leadership and some sportsmanship? And then the second fantastic performance over the weekend by a woman athlete was uh, Pernilla Lindbergh, who you might ask. Yes, exactly. She's a, a pro golfer on the LPGA Tour, 31 years old, uh, Swede. You know, obviously the Swedes uh, started with Annika Sorensen and even Anna Norkvist have had, had an excellent uh, history on the women's tour. Um, but she won in an eighth, uh, on the eighth sudden death playoff hole against NB Park, who's a tremendous player in her own right. Um holding a 30-foot putt for birdie uh, when Park had about a 20-footer that she needed to make after that uh, to send it to a ninth playoff hole. Uh, Park obviously came up short. Lindbergh ended up winning. But it was weird. She led. She was the leader uh, every day along the way and then made a big clutch putt yesterday on 18 to send it into a playoff. Uh, They went a few playoff holes yesterday. Got suspended due to darkness. Teed it up again this morning out there in Palm Springs. And, uh, again, she won on the eighth playoff hole. And I, I believe it's her first win on the LPGA Tour. So, and, it, and I'm sorry, this was a major. This was the first of four majors uh, on the women's tour. So an absolutely tremendous uh, performance by her. So uh, kudos to her as well. All right, now we're going to shift gears, and we'll go to the NBA 
where, again, this sort of long slog of the season. Oh, actually, if, while we're on golf, also kudos to my man Ian Poulter, uh, the Englishman, needing to win the tournament this weekend to be able to play in the Masters, and he did. Um, won, again, he also won in a playoff on the first hole over uh, the uh, young Bo Hostler, um, who uh, is a name to watch, 23 years old, played at the University of Texas, um, has had a good year so far, a good start to his year, uh, and played very well yesterday, but Poulter made a ridiculously clutch putt, clutch putt. If you follow golf at all, particularly the Ryder Cup, you know that's when he really shines. Um, this is Poulter's first win on a PGA Tour that wasn't match play. He never won just a straight-up tournament. I think he'd won a WGC match play once, and that's it. He's won a bunch on the European Tour, and he's played great in Ryder Cups at times, uh, but never won an actual PGA Tour event. That wasn't match play. That was stroke play. So uh, good for him. Uh, now he'll be in the Masters uh, this week. And, um, and now we will shift gears and go over to the NBA. So we are almost finished through, uh, as I like to call it, the long slog that is the NBA season. And uh, it's interesting. You've got some teams playing red hot. Uh, we talked about it last week. You know, you've got teams like uh, – the Celtics, uh, but in particularly Golden State, banged up. Although Golden State got Durant and Green and Thompson back. Uh, so that's huge for them. Um, but, for instance, the Sixers are 10-0 in their last 10 games. They're 46-30 and right now. They're the four seed. Uh, they could, um, it looks like they'll probably stay there uh, unless, well, let's see. Cleveland is 47-30. They won eight of nine. Phillies won 10 in a row. Uh, you've got the Rockets are 28-2 in their last 30 games. Um, Utah is 25-5 in their last 30. Golden State's making uh, their late season push. They're 8-2 in their last 10. Um, it, it's, an, it's incredible. I mean, you've got these teams, uh, you know, really hot here late in the season. And it'll be interesting to see if that carries into the playoffs because – Let's see. We are down. Toronto's 55 and 21. That gives 76. Yeah, six about six games left for most teams. So essentially, the last week of the season. So if it's season started today, you'd have the Raptors versus the Bucks. And the Bucks are 41 and 36. They're the eighth seed right now. Miami's same record. Um, I guess based on conference schedule, Miami would be the seventh seed, and the Bucks would be the eighth seed. Now the Bucks should be better. I think I talked about this a little bit last week. It should be better than 41 and 36. I mean, Antoine Zacupo is tremendous. Um, you know, I, I guess they're just not that consistent. You know, Chris Middleton will sometimes will have 30, and the next game he'll have 10. You know, I think Bledsoe, same thing. He's not, you know, he's a little inconsistent. Jabari Parker still coming off that knee injury. Sometimes he's great, sometimes he's non existent. Um, but I, I still think they should be better than five games over 500. Uh, you know, the Wizards are 42-35. and 35. They're going to win that division uh, probably. I guess they'll all know. They only have a game lead now over the Heat. So, you know, that that uh, bears some watching. But right now, if the season ended today, the Raptors would play the Bucks. The Celtics would play the Heat. Um, not sure if Kyrie Irving will be back for that. You know, as good as he is, I think the Celtics would be fine without him because uh, Terry Rozier has played great. He really has played so well. Um, if I were the Knicks, by the way, 
uh, I would see if there was a way to be able to pry him loose because, you know, the Celtics are going to be able to pay everybody at some point. Um, and, and they've got Marcus Smart and they've got, uh, obviously, Kyrie. So uh, that would be a guy I, I would really see if I could try to get. He's exactly what, what the Knicks could use. Super athletic point guard, tough as nails. Uh, he's gotten better every year he's been in the league. Really good player, and he's still young with upside. Um, he basically like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, they're very similar. Both went to Louisville. Um, you know, super athletic, not the tallest guys in the world, uh, but can really, you know, can jump, can get to the rim, play good defense, strong players. So anyway, Celtics would play the Heat. Cavs would play the Wizards. Uh, you know, LeBron, by the way, is just in, in overdrive mode right now. He's just he's willing that team to win on a nightly basis. And then you'd have the Sixers and the Pacers, which would be an interesting matchup, 4-5. Again, Sixers playing great, even without Embiid. Embiid's going to be out for a little while now with this fracture that he sustained when he ran into Markel Fultz the other, uh, last week against the Knicks. Um, and again, I don't love the Raptors in the playoffs because, look, it's great to have a deep bench in the regular season and have like almost a second five. I get it. Um, but in, until Kyle Lowry and DeRozan show up night after night in the playoffs, those guys have had great games and they have stinkers. And they're the two best players on that team. And typically, again, these bench guys, you see it, they're great at home and they're so-so on the road a lot of times in the playoffs. Um, it's typically not a formula for success in the playoffs. Teams sent, tend to shorten their bench. Now, it can work. Look, the Knicks rode that, that, uh, their bench when they had Camby and Sprewell coming off the bench uh, in the strike-shortened year in 98. But, you know, that was also, uh, a, a, you know, that was, that was a, a bit of an anomaly because, again, they played about half a year that year. Um, and then in the West... You know, look, the Rockets sewed up the one seed a while ago. Golden State's entrenched at number two. Portland, by the way, also playing great. They're 48-29, and 29, um, but they've been really good. What is their record? Hold on. Their record over, like, their last 30 games is, is really impressive, too. I think it's, like, 26-4 and four or something like that. Let's see. Uh, let's see if we can somehow manage to figure this out. It's going to be tough. Uh, let's see. One, two, three. Yeah. Anyway, Portland's been playing great. How about that? It's going to be too hard for me to figure it out over a long period of time like that. But they're 48 and 29 on the season. Um, again, they are seven and three in their last 10. Um, you know, right now you'd have the Rockets playing the Pelicans, uh, as great as Anthony Davis is, the Pelicans don't have enough Rockets win that series. You know, talked about the Rockets last week. Look, they have all the ingredients. It's all there, right? It's all right there in front of them. They've got the stars. They've got the role players, shot blockers, guys who can make threes, guys who get to the rim, guys who get to the foul line. They got it all. You got the Warriors and the T Wolves in second round. Again, talked about the T Wolves. Could be a little dangerous if Towns, Butler, assuming he comes back. And Wiggins all have great games at the same time. The problem is, is as good as Butler is, I think that's somewhat hurt Wiggins' development this year. Because I think he kind of now sort of, you know, he, he wasn't the most aggressive guy to begin with anyway. I think he kind of fades into the background a little bit, particularly when Butler's playing. 
Um, it doesn't really assert himself. Uh, he doesn't give them anything on defense. And plus the other thing to worry about with the T-Wolves is, and this has been a, a hallmark, as good a coach as Tom Thibodeau is, and he was with the Bulls, he runs these guys into the ground. His guys are always a, it, it, the, the league leaders in minutes played. And, you know, now there's some thought that, you know, all those, those heavy minutes that uh, Joe Camnoa played and Derrick Rose played um, under Thibodeau and now Jimmy Butler this year has missed time. And he played a lot of minutes when he was with Tibbs in Chicago that, you know, there's a cause and effect there. Uh, I'm not you – know, listen, I wouldn't dismiss it. I think it's certainly something to look at. Uh, but you, you wonder if the Timberwolves are going to be fresh here down the stretch. So I would suspect Golden State should probably not have too hard a time getting past the Timberwolves. Uh, Portland, Utah should be an interesting series, right? Talked about the Jazz 25-5 and in the last 30 games. I mean, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year for the Jazz. They lost their supposed best player in Gordon Hayward. He signed a big deal with the, with the Celtics. Obviously, he had that horrific uh, you know, leg injury in the first game of the year, and he's missed the whole season. But, you know, look, that team's playing great. Rudy Gobert, the stifled tower. Donovan Mitchell, to me, I understand they're going to give the rookie of the year to, to, to Ben Simmons because he's technically a rookie, even though because he didn't play it all last year. Donovan Mitchell's a rookie of the year to me. Sorry. I know that everyone loves the Sixers now and trusts the process because we stunk for eight years and we had a million high draft picks and we, we got lucky and hit on half of them. Right? I mean, Jalil Okafor was a bust. Third pick of the draft. Norland's Noel was a bust. He's not, he's not even with the team anymore and he doesn't even play for a terrible Dallas team. And Okafor can't even play for a terrible next team. Busts. Now, they hit on Simmons, they hit on Embiid, but Embiid didn't play for two years. And Simmons missed his whole rookie year. Jury's still very much out on Markel Fultz. We'll see. But the Jazz have had a great year, and Donovan Mitchell, to me, rookie of the year. So that'll be an interesting series, I think, Portland-Utah, and the Spurs and OKC. Now, it's interesting. One game separates... The fifth seed right now, the Thunder, and the eighth seed, the Pelicans. Pelicans are 43 and 34. OKC is 45 and 33. And the T Wolves are 44 and 34. And the Jazz are 44 and 33. So the 5, 6, 7, and 8, that could all easily be different by the end of the season. And speaking of the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's interesting. I watched the game last week. They played a Celtics team completely depleted by injury. No Kyrie Irving. I don't think uh, Jalen Brown played in that game either. Maybe he did. I don't remember. They, they were missing another starter. Uh, Smart wasn't playing either. A game that the OKC should have won. Should have won easily. Um, but they let the Celtics kind of get back in it down the stretch. But all they had to do to win that game was Carmelo Anthony just had to make two foul shots. They win the game. Of course, he misses them both. Um, and they end up going on to lose that game. Then he missed a wide open three a couple games later. Another game that they lost. And people are acting surprised. And I'm like, what are you surprised about? Have you not watched Carmelo Anthony's tenure with the Knicks? Except for the year when they made the playoffs, his tenure in New York was an unmitigated failure. Never made a clutch shot. Never made a clutch foul shot. Even that good season, right? His signature moment in the playoffs was getting his shot blocked by Roy Hibbert, who's not even in the league anymore, by the way. Because he can't play in this new style of NBA, where you have to have stretch fives shooting eight threes a game. So the days of, you know, a low post guy who 
protects the rim, for the most part, is gone. Rudy Gobert being one of the few exceptions. So I don't understand why everybody's all surprised that Carmelo is bad. He's been bad. Just because he averaged 20 points a game on a terrible Knicks team because he jacked up 25 shots a game, who cares? He gives you nothing on defense. You know, when he came in the league, he was a very good rebounder for a small forward. Now he's got to play power forward most of the time. He's not particularly a good rebounder for a power forward at all. And again, he doesn't get to the rim anymore. Oh, he's basically a jump shooter now. And he's like, eh, he's so-so jump shooter. shooting 40% from the field. This, is, this should not be news, people. This is not a big surprise. If you watch them even a little bit with the Knicks, you would know this. All right, that is going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on JamalAboutSports.com. Check us out on SoundCloud, on uh, iTunes. You can also check us out on Twitter, at JamalAboutSport, on Instagram, JamalAboutSports. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all the sports. We'll be back next week. Talk about the Masters. Another week in the books in Major League Baseball. And we'll probably set the stage for the NBA playoffs. Oh, and sorry. Duh. What am I out of my mind? We've got the uh, NCAA Finals tonight. Villanova versus Michigan. Um, Talked about my man Jalen Brunson last week. Uh, I am going with Villanova tonight over Michigan. I think um, Villanova is just a more well-rounded team. I know Michigan's red hot with 14 straight wins. But if you watch Villanova this tournament – I mean, even in games they don't look great, they still win by double digits. And again, I'll, I'll take the experienced veteran, heady point guard and Brunson. Um, you know, they've got, um, uh, what's the kid's name? Uh, Mikel Bridges. Uh, and then um, uh, Spellman, number 14, is a revelation for Villanova. Big kid, can shoot to three, block shots on defense, you know, finish around the rim. So uh, I like Villanova to win, let's call it uh, 74-64 Villanova. All right, that'll wrap it up. We'll be back next week to talk about it all. Until then, thanks for listening, and peace out.